This episode of The Interchange is made possible by APSA and Timu. Hello and welcome to the third episode of what has been a punching season two of The Interchange. We're recording from Cliff Central Studios in the heart of Josie and I am your host, Busim Kumbuzi. Now, the fourth industrial revolution remains a hot topic for all the right reasons. The world is rapidly changing and those changes require us to talk about how we're going to ensure that people have the means, the capacity and skills to fully participate in a digitally driven democracy and economy. One suggestion that has gained a lot of traction is that free internet must be provided to all, particularly those in rural areas, as well as in metros and in public schools, in public clinics, libraries, and all kinds of public institutions. Here to make the case for why free internet must be declared as a universal right is Neo Maswewu, who is a philosophy student, a big, big fan of SNL and cyberpunk, as well as Dan Peter, who is a master's in law student and debater. Dan, we've just heard the good news that you're going to Hello. LSE to pursue your master's. Yes, I am. I, I, I don't like mentioning it. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yes, I will be. I'm going in September. I'm very excited. I mean, how did how did thoughts come about to just apply at the London School of Economics? Um, no, I have an Arab uncle um, mm. who was very insistent that <laughs> I achieve as much as possible. Mm. Um, and when I felt like not working, which is most of the time, he was the one who <laughs> phoned me at all hours of the morning and day uh, to, to remind me to of work. The school, so the pretty much Uncle John. So thanks, Uncle John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Uncle John. Here to argue that uh, free internet as a universal right misses the point... We have opposition Tristan Marrow, who is a master's in law student, a social commentator and a futurist thinker, as well as Umar Bakis, who is a honors in construction management student and a train fanatic. Train fanatic, what is that? Uh, it's just someone who really, really, really likes trains. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I think they're just the most efficient and beautiful way to transport from A to B. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Insane. Uh, yeah, uh, hoping to get to, to Japan one day to actually run some of those trains, man. Whoa, I guess the president knows who to talk to in terms of his uh, dream that he presented at State of the Nation about building this fourth industrial revolution trip, blah, blah, blah. Actually, anyway. Same process. <laughs> <laughs> Also in studio with us is episode expert and creative solutionist Nolo Mokwena. Nolo is the chief executive of Grind Africa, a pan-African advisory group helping corporates and governments better leverage the continent's youthfulness. Nolo, good to have you in studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, awesome. You're at the forefront of um, building a digital platform for youth. Um, are young people being empowered for the fourth industrial revolution? And what role could free internet play? That's such a big question because I think it's actually two-sided. Um, the first one is we need to talk about the fourth industrial revolution in the context of industrial revolutions. Um, my biggest challenge with it in Africa is that we've, we've, we've missed the third. Right. Well, so, yeah. I mean, we're still trying yeah. to achieve free internet. Right. And so, and, and so guys are already talking about the fourth. The other thing is that every industrial revolution means very different things for all the nations. So, for the first industrial revolution, what it meant for England was very different for what it meant, say, for Asia. And, and the biggest challenge in Africa is I believe the fourth industrial revolution for us is actually about our, mir- about our minerals. Mm. And so cobalt, coltan, lithium for our batteries, mm. all that is found in Africa. And I tell people, if you don't believe me, Elon Musk, who's arguably the poster child of the fourth industrial revolution, three weeks ago just said Tesla is going into mining because he wants to control the supply of the lithium for his batteries in yeah. the cars. And where is he going to find that? It's either going to be Zambia, Zimbabwe, or the northern parts of Limpopo. 
Mm. Those are the only mm. three parts that mm. have enough for that. And so for Africa, in terms of resource maximization, the fourth industrial revolution for us should be about maximizing our minerals, using that as an economic catalyst mm. to then define our own future, whatever that mm. looks like. Mm. And so that's just a conversation exclusively talking about industrial revolutions mm. in the context for Africa. Mm. And so I believe that's something we talk about now. Free internet. It's cool, you know, like that's just my opinion. Like, you know, like it's cool, whatever, but technology um, is not value in itself. It sort of augments value. And so my question is when people talk about, okay, let's use the internet to educate children. I tell them, well, it's a delivery method. Let's talk about the content we're using to educate children. I think that's a bigger conversation Africa should be having, South Africa should be having. And I think when you talk about free internet, it's great in terms of a, a modus. It's an augmenter of value, mm. but it's not a creator of value within itself. Mm. And I think when we have that conversation, we really limit the scope of, of, of how this applies to us. Mm. And so that would be my opinion mm. in terms of doing that because inevitably, regardless of which way we go, we need clear deliverables and measurements of what this looks like and what mm. progress looks like for us. And so that's the short of Let's it. hope we get those uh, clear deliverables and outcomes in, in the speeches that are going to be presented today. Um, and we will come back to that first point you made about how, you you know, when you watch uh, Black Panther and and you look at the kingdom of Wakanda, it, it's just that. It's a, a fiction yeah. kingdom. Until you hear that argument and you're like, what? We could actually build our own. Um, but let's get into the debate. And before then, a quick rundown of the rules. We're using the British parliamentary format. We have four speakers, two on each side. The first two are proposition and the last two are opposition. In terms of speaking order, prop one is going to speak first and op two is going to speak last. Each speaker has four minutes to deliver their case. In between the first and the last minute, the opposing team may ask points of information. Are we ready? Yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm going to hand over to the first speaker of proposition, Nebo here. Okay. So I think the first thing that we need to do in this debate is to establish that there are no sacred cows in the fourth industrial revolution. No country has leverage over establishing some kind of competitive advantage without actually prioritizing the most basic economic right of the 21st century, which is the Internet. I don't think we ought to look at this debate in a simplistic term and just assume that the Internet will be used for bad means and of themselves. I think it's been an incredible liberator for a lot of people. It has allowed many people in the digital economy to access economic benefits and to become socially savvy people. In this era that we're dealing with, there are two fundamental things that we need to question, right? The first one is, why do we think that economies will grow in an exponential rate if we prioritize the, the internet? But secondly, what have governments specifically in developing countries done in the absence of the internet? And I think you'll realize that in the end, they haven't done much. And I'll start with mm-hmm. that point first. Structurally speaking, any economy will not be able to grow without actually incent- uh, it was just creating incentives for uh, the, the, the penetration of the internet. That's the same reason why you see Google building underwater cables from Cape Town mm. to Nigeria to Spain, because they recognize that the next frontier of the economy is not going to be in Europe, it's not going to be in the Western world, but in Africa. Mm. And specifically when we speak about countries like Ghana, South Africa and Kenya, you'll realize that the structural impediments that exist 
list is not so much that those people are not able to create jobs, but they're not able to create environments where those people are not are able to create jobs. So why is the internet specifically important in this context then? One minute up. The first one is that the internet is an economic um, incentive for industry and government. So that's the first key distinguishing part we want to make. We can recognize on their side of the house in opposition that they're probably going to argue that the government needs to do a lot more, that private business can still power this, but we're saying that they need to prioritize it simply because of the fact that for them to grow in a digital economy, they will not able to participate without some kind of fervent prioritization of the internet. What does this mean? A lot of governments will not be able to create jobs in the fourth industrial revolution. The age of deindustrialization suggests that people have to become self-starters. That's the reason why we have companies like Simong, people taking their own destinies in their own hands and not working for corporate companies anymore. But because secondly, we think for you to become an ableist in this environment where disruption is the key term, the internet is the best way to not only A, create leverage when it comes to economies, but secondly, to learn specific skills the way in which you can do it. Note to your panel that before the internet actually existed in countries like Senegal, they had a very, very small tech sector. With the prioritization of the internet in cities like Dakar, you had bigger tech incubators, you had more people actually realizing their true potential, becoming coders, programmers, and even successful entrepreneurs. We think that in the 21st century, that is the biggest African story we can tell. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, we think that the idea of exponentialism is something very important. Once you level the, once you leverage the internet, you allow for primary sector economies, low-income economies, to actually leapfrog a lot of the industrial revolutions that were spoken about in the context to actually be to actually be transcended. That means you can com- compete, therefore, in the fourth industrial revolution. Look at countries like China, for instance. Countries in many ways that were basically forsaken by Time magazine, etc., but today are the leading hallmarks of what it means to be a successful economy because they prioritize things like access to the internet, but more importantly, recognize the technology and the fourth industrial revolution will not be achievable without any internet at all. Tristan? Out of order? Out of order. Okay. <laughs> You're in flow. I'm in flow. <laughs> <laughs> and Unfortunately, some... no, your time ah. is up. <laughs> there goes your four minutes. That was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Tristan, I'm not going to hand over to you to oppose uh, the opening case by proposition here, here. All right. Don't get me wrong. The internet is great. And I really wish that everybody had access to the internet. But you know what's even more great? Having electricity to be able to power your computer that you need to get the internet. Having reliable water. Having reliable road infrastructure. That is what's great. And that is what's needed. And that is what governments need to prioritize, especially in developing countries. Because unfortunately, what my job is today is to be the parent in the store where Nell's asking for a candy bar and I'm having to realize there's only 200 rand left and 10 days left of the month. So what we need to understand is that Developing governments have limited budget. And with that limited budget, we need to be careful about what we prioritize. And what we don't need to prioritize is something which, number one, private industry is already taken care of. Now himself points out that Darfur, out of all places, already has internet access. A place which was a war-torn village which was ravaged by warmongers. Has internet access. One minute up. Because of private industries. Mm. So it is coming, whether it is on the ground or whether it is 
in the sky from SpaceX's Starlink program mm. or from Amazon's new satellite constellations. Yeah, yeah. Right? It is coming. So it is not something that government needs to worry about. What government needs to worry about is, as I said in the beginning, making sure that we have sustainable and reliable electricity sources, mm. right? Making sure that the ecosystem around mm. the internet can facilitate all the things that you want to do. Mm. Because it doesn't matter how much of a, you know, entrepreneurial get-go you have and how much internet access you have if you don't have reliable rail networks to get you into Samson when you're living outside of Johannesburg. Yeah, yeah. That's what we need to prioritize as government. And this, and as developing governments, we just don't have the money to make sure that we prioritize internet infrastructure and road infrastructure. We need to pick a struggle. And the one we need to pick is the one that private industry isn't already doing now. You haven't actually shown material benefits on your side of the house. You're just giving us a lot of a lot of suggestions about what ought to happen. But secondly, everything that you're suggesting is not mutually exclusive from what you're saying. We can still prioritize primary infrastructural development while actually prioritizing the Internet. The biggest eater of money in African states is not necessarily a lack of funding. It's blatant corruption. Yes, that's fine. And we can try and address blatant corruption. Yeah. But what we need to also understand is that even if we address blatant corruption, there isn't as much money as developed countries. That is a fact. And as to the material gain out of things like electricity, well, I would hope that the readers are smart enough to understand that you need the electricity before you can have the computer connected to the Internet. I think the material gain is very obvious and basic critical infrastructure. And that is what we need to prioritize, because at the moment, there are many places in South Africa, which is a reasonably well developed developing mm. country which don't have road access which don't even have telephone cables to carry your uh, internet that is what One we need to left. understand is something that needs to be prioritized because it doesn't matter how much information you have access to it doesn't matter how many clients you try and connect to if you're unable to move your product through a reliable infrastructure if you're unable to keep your servers active with electricity then the internet is for naught and that is why that is what they need to prioritize, not something which private industry is already prioritizing. Mm. Thank you so much for that speech, Tristan. I'm now going to hand over to the proposition speaker to Dan to close the proposition case here. here. Thank you. So it is quite difficult to hear the main thrust of opposition's case through the sounds of Tristan's condescension. But we think that's kind of indicative of the problem in their case, right, is that they've they've missed the point here. The point here isn't that developing nations and the governments of developing nations are going to be putting huge amounts of money into internet infrastructure is that they prioritize internet access. And prioritizing internet access isn't something as simplistic as fiscal allocation. It means prioritizing it in terms of cutting bureaucratic red tape. It means prioritizing it in terms of cutting the corruption that disincentivizes companies from coming and investing in the country. And it means prioritizing it in terms of making your country a friendly destination for the NGOs, startups and companies who want to invest and create this infrastructure, which Tristan says is happening in these countries. So we think going forward in this debate, we need to have a clearer context of what prioritization means. And it doesn't mean spending money that you would be spending on education and healthcare, because as Tristan says, the private companies are the ones doing that expenditure. It means working with those private ventures to enable internet access. So that's where we need to be in this debate. So... We think in terms of the thing, uh, uh, this uh, matter about uh, enabling uh, things like electricity access and water access and road access and things like that, not only is it not mutually exclusive, we think it's actually part and parcel of prioritizing Internet access. Just as Tristan said, in order to have proper Internet access, we need to have things like electricity. What that means is that prioritizing uh, Internet access as a government doesn't mean the government providing the routers, for example. It means government making sure that there's in, uh, electricity in place. It means government making sure that there are roads in place to deliver 
the infrastructure, things like that, right? That's part of uh, prioritizing internet access. And we're not sure why opposition would be opposed to that. We think if you prioritize internet access, uh, the virtuous cycle enables those kinds of things to be uh, developed in the first place. We think secondly, in terms of this virtuous cycle, it's really important to remember that job creation is something that's fundamental to enabling people to access many of the socioeconomic rights that Tristan is talking about. If it's true that governments are often not as good in developing countries, according to them, as enabling those rights as, as governments in developed countries are, then we think it's really important that if, if the government isn't going to give all those rights to people, that we enable people to access those rights themselves. And part of that is creating entrepreneurial ventures. Part of that is creating employment through those entrepreneurial ventures and allowing people to pay for services, right? We think that, that, that that's part and parcel of it. And we think it's, it's really, it would be quite bizarre if opposition would deny that the job creation of internet access wouldn't take place. In fact, the World Economic Forum recently predicted that if internet penetration was increased to 75% of the world's population, uh, that of the developing world's population, that 140 million jobs would be created. And I'll take you in a second once I'm finished with this argument. Um, so we think that it's really important that we understand that job creation is not something that we should be weighing against electricity, not something we should be weighing against education and healthcare. It's part and parcel of it. And we think to deny people in the developing world access to that because we patronize them and say that, no, you need to get electricity first is really missing the point of the, the fourth industrial revolution yes i think daniel needs to pick a struggle because quite frankly what he's doing now is he's diluting prioritizing internet down to such a basic level that he's essentially saying let's try and have everything what prioritization does mean is that you need to give up other things for it thank you so i think that's quite bizarre, Tristan. So prioritization can definitely entail things that are quite large, like cutting corruption, cutting bureaucratic red tape. That's not a diluted version of prioritization. That's a pretty big thing for a government to do. It just doesn't require them to spend as much money as you're saying they have to. Lastly, we think in terms of active citizenship, one of the first things the governments go for when they're trying to suppress access to information and dissent in a country is the internet. We've seen it in Sudan. We've seen it in China. We've seen it all over the world. That tells you that it's really important if we want to have active citizenship and participatory democracy that people are able to access information. And part of that means enabling access to the internet. So we need opposition to come up and tell us why they wouldn't want developing nations to create more active citizens, why they wouldn't want company governments to enable that. We think in terms of education, in terms of access to information, the primary means of delivering that access to information is through Your the internet. Time is up. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Dan. I'm going to now hand over to our final speaker from opposition who's also going to close the debate. Umar, choo-choo away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you for that. But I think it's weirdly, um, it's quite interesting. Last time Dan and I was in this room, he was actually arguing for the, for the, like, for the argument of that these, the, the introduction of ICT technology into places like Africa would actually result in the lower classes, the people we are arguably trying to help in this debate. The beauty of debate. <laughs> ultimately ending up in a place that is, uh, somewhere we don't want to see them, right? So, Neo says something interesting in today's debate, right? He talks about basic human rights. And I think, to be honest, and I'm here, I'm, I'm on the side of Tristan, I think basic human rights are things like basic primary school education things like basic infrastructure i don't really see um, access to internet as a fundamental basic human right as these things right and that's very important as side opposition to today's debate right he talks about the exponential growth uh, growth of rate of growth in these countries right and this idea of job creation right something we see um throughout this side they like to throw around terms like mutually exclusive right ultimately we need to understand something that like dan says he throws around the statistics 75 percent ICT technologies only result in job creation and active benefits to societies once they reach the massive critical mass of 75%. That's the issue, right? The problem with it, 
Okay, wait. The problem with that is that this ICT technology, this prioritization, is no savior for developing nations, right? The fact is, we hold it out as the savior, but we find that there, like, the basic things that we need are things like landline development, things like basic mobile technology. That is something that exists and actually facilitates it, right? So the expert tells us, like, the prioritization of mining, right? A resource we have massive access to, and uh, the resource we have access, a massive access to, that we can actually facilitate and generate massive amounts of economic capital to develop nations is something we should prioritize and this is something we see within the government's mandate that can actively be incorporated into the uh, facilitation of these basic human rights right we need to understand that Tristan says right we acknowledge that this is important we acknowledge that it can result in job creation but not now later down the track because to be honest right if you want to create job creation if you want to prioritize job creation if you Uh want to prioritize these people being able to um, have an an entrepreneurial spirit right Dan talks about this like it's easy just cut the bureaucratic red tape right something that's almost impossible to do in these developing nations right otherwise otherwise we would have seen it happening up to this point right we need to understand that when they talk about the creation of active citizens i don't think that's dependent on the i don't think that's at all dependent on ict systems right and if if you want to you can just pi me and then we can talk about it then but we need to realize right like more traditional sources right things of like literally trade between nations something that isn't like that isn't massively dependent on these things right a basic education and literally Proper implementation of the rule of law and checks and balances within these countries is much more important to the development of these countries, right? That's something we can actively see creating tangible benefits. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is, when a country's, uh, when, uh, sorry, let me just finish this point. When a country is actually actively sitting at like ICT implementation or, or like internet access of 23% and you want to get them to a place like 75%, you're talking about years and years of development. And yes, I understand we need to move forward with that. But at the same time, there are people walking uh, kilometers upon kilometers to get basic, uh, to get clean drinking One water. Minute up. Uh, yeah, let's take you quickly. Sorry, you just Out mentioned order. trade between. Oh, damn it. Come on, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, again, we're, you're, you're walking kilometers upon kilometers to get, to get access to clean drinking water, right? Yeah. People are literally getting older every day without access to basic education, mm. right? This is something that, I think is 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 much more. Uh, it, it's it's not really an idealistic thing, but it's something that needs to be prioritized in the short term because the fact of the matter is, if people are getting older, if people don't have this basic access to things, we see like people almost age out, right? And it, it entrenches all of the things we're trying to oppose in today's motion, right? We need to understand that internet is great, but it's not great right now. We need to understand that focusing on things like trade between nations, getting people education, and mm. even just focusing focusing on on the resources that that we have strength in, like like um, like our mineral wealth in Africa, is something that's largely important to the developing nations and ultimately that's where the debate falls if uh. you want to see development in these nations you need to focus on the grassroots stuff and I and it's one of those like stock debating arguments uh. that we always come back to but it's because it's the truth right and that's ultimately where where Dan falls short he no, talks your about your time is up unfortunately <laughs> we have a I lot to unpack <laughs> right and, uh, and, and that's why the post debates uh, discussion is always so great but Nolo just your initial thoughts to break the tension hmm yeah, <laughs> I love it actually. I I really like the perspectives. I think in the context of Africa, actually, like when you started to bring in about citizens and participating in democracies, etc. I think it's important. But uh, I'm still taking it in, Busi. You guys did really well. Uh, <laughs> you guys did really really well. I think you brought nice meat and depth to it. But I think it still points to the same thing, right? What are we hoping the fourth industrial revolution does yeah, for us? Yeah. And I think that's the deeper conversation we need to actually concentrate on because mm. I think then it will bring a lot of clarity in terms of what 
we need to be prioritizing mm. what we need to do. But it was really fantastic. Mm. And in terms of that, in fact, on, on that point, and specifically to, to Neo and Dan, um, you know, what are we hoping people are going to do with all this internet, especially considering that there aren't any accompanying digital literacy programs in education curricula to introduce children to useful ways of using the internet? For all I know, if I give free access yeah. to everyone to get 500 megabytes, you know, how does that move the continent forward? So I think just like as a principle, it's important just to underscore that we do not live in an ideal world. Yeah. There will always be policy shortfalls and no government, I think, in the 21st century can ever say that they've done anything perfectly. Mm. But if you look at what the Internet has done specifically for a lot of young people in countries that A, have a lot of structural impediments, B, education systems are falling apart, it can offer an infinite amount of opportunities Mm. such as teaching Mm. yourself Mm. a decent amount of lessons, things in languages, things in coding things in mathematics Mm. all those things did not exist before Mm. and whether it's private industry or government i think there is a conversation to be had about whether those things albeit if they did not exist those people would be at a better place and i think you will find that the benefits outweigh the uh, the negatives Mm. at this point then i just wanted to add one little thing um, and i completely agree with no um but i think we also have to be careful not to place an unfair burden on children and especially children in developing mm. countries. Um, I think we, we don't expect children in Europe, for example, not to use some of their Wi-Fi, not to use some of the data on watching YouTube videos, for mm. example. Um, and I think just as an ethical moral concern, I think as long as we make sure that some of the use of the internet is productive, I don't really have a problem if some children in Africa and Asia are using their, their data on some things that because are Because they're not children, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, but, um, the strong contention between, uh, you, Dan, and, and Tristan, was this issue of striving to provide versus being capable of mm. providing. Does it matter when we're talking about rights? That's actually a very good question. Um, the uh, Sorry, to, just to clarify, do you mean striving in terms of who's providing? Yeah, or? I mean, does it matter if if we're able to actually provide something um, when we're talking about rights? Does it matter uh, that a government is able to actually provide that right, or do we just want to and declare that it's a right and hope that at some point, you know, the state would be able to? Well, look, I think if we look at the the context of how most rights are enacted, um, most countries are moving towards a model where the absolute provision of the right is less important as less important than the progression towards the provision of that right. Mm. And I think setting it as a right that we aim towards or strive towards is really important, even if we don't achieve full internet penetration. I think having a legal benchmark by which you can take the government to court and say you haven't made active steps towards the realization of internet access is more important than saying, well, you know, in five years' time, we need to make sure that everyone is connected to the internet. But I think what Uma was saying, and and Uma, I mean, you can also add uh, some weight to this, and it's something we saw recently in a Timung program where a really smart um, girl, uh, part of the Limpopo team, Contrasted France's right to disconnect with the first, with the fact that in South Africa or in the rest of the continent, you, you likely have a 50% uh, unemployment rate. And that highlights the fact that some things can't necessarily be universal. So France has progressed to the extent that they can do things like discussing uh, right to, uh, something like disconnecting from the working world at five o'clock being an actual right. But can you even talk about that within the context of Africa? And, you know, I think uh, when you speak about prioritization and sort of thing, that's that's what you were speaking to. Yeah, I think it's 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 again, it's difficult sometimes to place uh, like like to me, like the right to disconnect doesn't really make sense in the context of Africa. Right yeah. Now, I think yeah. I think it's it's 
I mean, I, I think in this debate, I find myself arguing against something that I don't particularly agree with. And that <laughs> I do think that I like the wealth of like free information and free, like free tools on the internet means that any sort of access means development for someone. But I, I, I do, I do think there is a uh, weight to the argument that literally sometimes providing like, and, I'm, and I, and I do think one comes at the cost mm, of the other. Mm. It's either you provide basic human rights or you prioritize it. I don't. I don't think you can have both. So I think ultimately I fall in the camp that says provide for people the basic human rights that they deserve. Yeah. And I mean, we could be skipping crucial steps, right? In, in the developed world. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the backlog in terms of providing other universal rights or constitutional rights or civil rights in particularly for African countries. Because Dan, I mean, you argued against this, but let's be honest. Prioritization happens within a constraint or else it wouldn't be prioritization. So look, I think there's two things. I think the first thing is that we need to make sure that we don't view development as a completely linear process, right? Okay. We don't always have to follow the exact same process that Europe followed in mm. order to develop. Mm. Um, but I think the other thing is that often in terms of demanding service delivery, having access to internet and especially in, in terms of being able to uh, enable public gatherings and protest and access to information about failure to deliver services is really important for demanding from the government they enact those rights. Because it's a lot easier for the government to suppress protests when those protests are only localized in small areas mm. because people can't connect with people in other areas to demand the, their access to services. Mm. Something we also yeah. forget is that, and, and, you know, again, I also found myself the wonderfuls of debating mm. on the other side of what I actually believe. Because I think what we forget is the Internet's a, a great enabler, right? And so even though, yes, there's a lot of infrastructure challenges and there's a lot of, you know, kind of, uh, areas from the third industrial revolution where Africa is still trying to catch up. The internet can actually help in a lot of that. There's a brilliant, I fortunately can't remember the guy's name, but there's a brilliant story of a guy in Kenya mm. whose village had no electricity access mm. and who through using the internet and instructional videos on the internet was able to build a wind turbine, in fact, mm. a couple of wind turbines and provide electricity for his village. Mm. And so I think if we encourage mm. internet access and I would actually go so far as to say make it a basic human right that people Whoa. should have access to internet at no cost to them I think that can help in a lot of the challenges which Africa still needs to work on mm. because it takes that burden off well Government would still have a burden to try and fix those issues, mm. but it also gives tools to citizens to try and sort out those issues themselves, which I suspect would probably be a quicker resolution to the problems than waiting for governments. I don't know if I'm convinced um, personally, because when I think about Internet blackouts, you know, that's a scary reality that I think we need to grapple with more in depth. Uh, government providing Internet um, for, you know, a disparaged country or war-torn country also means the government being able to literally control the very tool. So is it even a real tool? I think to that I'd probably say that even in China, which is one of the most heavily restricted internet environments in the world, people have had unparalleled access to external sources of information. Mm. Um, and generally when it comes to mass censorship, because, because the internet, internet blackouts don't last for as long as internet censorship does, even under mass amounts of internet censorship, people find ways to still communicate and spread information. So I think I'd probably think of a lack of access to internet as mm. a complete permanent internet blackout. And mm. yeah. You can't have a blackout mm. if you don't have internet, mm. it's true. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. So say we all agreed with prop, which uh, we probably do. <laughs> How do we roll this out? And I want to rope in uh, Nolo here. 
I saw one interesting suggestion that free Wi-Fi should be regarded as a basic municipal service and run as a public utility on your public utility bill alongside water, electricity, refuse, and et cetera. What do you think of that? Or what other uh, models do you think would work? I mean, if you were consulting a company or, or a, a philanthropic organization or even government itself, mm-hmm. um, you know, how would you uh, uh, um, help us untangle this knot? I think, first of all, we need to talk about the structure of how the Internet actually works. Mm. And and so basically how it works is there's an infrastructure that somebody owns. And on that infrastructure, there's a service provider that runs on that. And so one of the biggest challenges in Africa is that the infrastructure layout is owned by private companies. Mm. And so the biggest challenge now is that even in nations where the government is saying we want to provide the Internet, it doesn't make sense for them to lay out the infrastructure that already exists there. And so mm. for me, that's actually the first challenge is that inevitably, even if the government does say they'll provide it, they're essentially paying the same people who are benefiting by not providing internet because they make sure the costs are high. Mm. And so that in itself for me is a philosophical challenge. It's like, mm. okay, where do I go? You know, do I pay the guys? Do I pay the bad guys? Or do we kick them out and, and, and do what Julius says? Shut up, my boy. But, um, and so that is the first thing. The second thing is I do think that Wi-Fi can be cheap. Mm. The biggest challenge in South Africa is that we have a, a an economy where they're, in every sector there are three or four big players. Mm. Whether someone wants to bid it or not, they're all colluding on the price. And so internet can be astronomically cheaper in South Africa, but they'll make sure that it isn't because their business model is based on exclusivity. Mm. And so, yeah, sure, provided it's great, it's going to provide the access. And we've seen great things like in Twane, there's free Wi-Fi. I think parts of Brahm as well, I've been there. You know, it's great, but sometimes it's spotty. Yeah. I believe it's and the, that's ser- the other side of right, the coin yeah, of nationalizing 100%, infrastructure. 100%. Is, uh, the government doesn't have the best track record. They, uh, uh, they really uh, don't because as well, post 1994, there was such a huge gap between the experts and, and, and the politicians. And we were hoping that that gap would close over the last 25 years uh, and it just hasn't. It hasn't, yeah. Right. I, I think there's a few institutions like the Concord uh, or whatever, sure, or the, like the Treasury. But the truth is generally across the board, like our minister of telecoms is absolutely clueless. And I'll say this with confidence. This is, she is not, she is clueless about what's actually happening in the space. And so that is a challenge. And I think, yeah, roll it out, whatever. But I think those, sometimes it's spotty. I tell my friends that I'm pretty sure there's someone at one of the big service providers going, no, shut them up today a little bit, you know, make sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just, 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 just for control. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, just for control. You there's know, also the argument so. that spotty internet is better than no, no internet, internet again. Oh, right. so, so it's, <laughs> it's that cash 22. But for me, I think when you understand the economics of internet, I'd go shucks. We've allowed guys like DFA, mm. Liquitel, to own the infrastructure. And that fundamentally is the biggest challenge we have mm. in Africa because we're either going to buy it back at a huge premium mm. or we have to work with them, which is still going to bed with guys mm. who are a lot bigger and actually understand what's happening. And that gap between the expert and the politician won't help us with love. Mm. I think this was an incredibly interesting um, conversation. What I found interesting is that uh, the lack of access to internet may, may actually limit the average person's access to other universally guaranteed rights. So we live in interesting times because a few years ago, no one would have agreed that, that internet is intrinsic to us as human beings. But here we are, right? 2.9 billion people in the world today use the internet as the preferred mode for political participation, for education, for employment, commerce, and personal activity. Therefore, internet can arguably be described as a basic requirement for social inclusion and economic participation and humanness. I was just uh, reading up an, art- an interesting article about how technology is fundamentally changing what it means to be human and is fundamentally changing what self-actualization means as we know it. 
And so I want to find out um, as we close today's debate, how has the internet enhanced your human journey? I'm going to start with Umar and go all around the table. Um, damn, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually, I don't know really. I think for me, like it was weird. I had a weird experience yesterday in that I actually just deleted Instagram off my phone because I mm. felt arguably too connected to everyone around me. And I think that's Whoa. something that you can, you can kind of contrast with having abundant access um, mm. uh, to, 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 to people. And I think while it has allowed me fundamentally to experience life through a different lens, experience life with like a major, like a large amount of people who I'd have never met otherwise. And I think that's something that has fundamentally changed who I am. Mm. Um, I argue, I mean, I think the right to disconnect is so important, right? Um, like even just like this morning, I woke up and I didn't check Instagram and it was a great feeling, you know? Mm. And I think that's also important. So, um, for me, the internet right now is a bit of a double edged sword. Mm. Mm. Tristan. My one simple and I, Unfortunately, had to discover this yesterday morning when, and I think anybody can relate to this who has a cell phone and whose battery runs dead and they don't have a charging cable anywhere near them. That anxiety that you feel. Yeah. Um, and it made me realize how much the communication element, which the internet facilitates that being able to just quickly, you know, send my dad a message saying, Hey, listen, I'm okay. Um, everything is okay. I think that's the, the, ability to communicate with people no matter where they are i've got Mm. family who are overseas who i can you know see right Mm. now um so i think that communication aspect has probably been the most fundamental impact on my humanness Mm. um that the internet has had the ability to learn and speak to people anywhere sure dan um so I am queer. I'm I'm very gay. Surprise. Um, Surprise. But but importantly, I think uh, linked to that, the internet has helped me access dignity, especially when Mm. I was a teenager. Um, I grew up in a very restrictive environment in really all facets. Um, And I think without being able to access the internet and realize that there wasn't something wrong with me and that I was loved Mm. and and all those Mm. things, um, especially because I'm, I'm, my religion is very small and there's mm. no one in my religion who I know who's like me. Mm. Um, I think, uh, being able to access that was really important in keeping me alive, firstly, mm. and making sure that I was someone who felt confident and secure in my own existence. Mm. Sure. Powerful. And now? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think the most important thing to, 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 to think about in this question is what, what, what would your life look like without, without the internet? And I think for me it would be just like valuable lessons about the outside world. Mm. I think for someone who's always been very curious about a lot of other things, you just start to realize that it's okay to have niche interests and to mm. prioritize them in a way. Um, so things like civic engagement, for instance, mm-hmm. I think they wouldn't have been possible without the existence of the Internet, a marketplace of ideas where you can learn many different perspectives about those things. And we can talk about old fashioned styled libraries, but I think there's nothing more empowering being a young person than just swiping through your phone and finding exactly what you want half a world away. Mm-hmm. And I think just like general efficiency is just something I'm very grateful for with regards to the Internet. Yeah, no. And I hope it penetrates through to other things. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nola, would you like to add? Yeah, mine's not that deep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like the gents, the gents are deep, you know. 
Yeah, just the internet gave me an access to chat to, you know, to the girl I wanted to chat to. Yeah. I mean, but, like, for me, it's just like, you know, like I'm just going to keep it simple in, in, in that regard. Like, you know, I think everything they've said is, is absolutely true and phenomenal. But I think it does make our life easier. I think when you talk about it in this context, though, it's, you know, moving a general population forward. I think it's a bigger conversation. But mm. I'm just grateful that I could highlight that girl. Shout out, B. <laughs> Shout out to the girl. <laughs> Shout out to Well, hopefully she is a... One of many listeners enjoying this debate, mm-hmm, episode three mm-hmm. of the Interchange season two. It was a fantastic one and I uh, hope that you continue to share your journeys of how the internet has enhanced your human journey, but also what you think regarding making the internet a human right. That was the Interchange and see you next time. This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by APSA and Simung, amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange, seeing Africa through a youthful lens.